Just a quick note before we begin. This episode features adult language and descriptions of violence that you'd expect to hear in a podcast about the mafia. So if you have kids in the room, you may want to listen with headphones. So, the jury takes the case. Now, what is it like when you're a prosecutor and a jury is deliberating? It's the worst thing ever. Dan Goldman was one of three prosecutors on the case. It is incredibly nerve-wracking to sit there and wait for the verdict. You are just trying to distract yourself any way that you can. And this was a complicated case. There were three defendants, multiple murders, and a litany of charges. We had strong physical evidence for some of the charges, but for others, we were relying on testimony of our cooperating witnesses, and the jury had to decide if they were credible. Mark Lanfer, the lead prosecutor on our team, thought deliberation was going to take days. This isn't just a yes, no, are they guilty? This indictment had a lot of different counts. It was complicated to work through. Yeah, they had to work through a literal a grid with the three defendants, and then the racketeering had sub-acts. And... Yeah. But we were wrong. The deliberation didn't take days. I think it basically took about three hours. We were in our trial room, and we got a call from the courtroom deputy saying they sent a note, they have a verdict. I was in the cafeteria getting lunch, which I promptly dropped when I heard the news. The three of us raced back to the courtroom, After a long, nearly eight-year investigation, the moment of truth had finally arrived. And I remember as they read the verdict, count one, guilty. Count two, guilty. The murder of Springfield mob boss Al Bruno, guilty. The murder of Gary Westerman, guilty. The attempted murder of Frank Dadabo, guilty. The verdict was a clean sweep. Artie Nigro, Freddie Gius, and Ty Gius were found guilty on all counts. And you're just so relieved, and you want to kind of celebrate. The thing that I was so satisfied about, again, comes back to all the work that had been done by especially the agents up in Springfield and the troopers up there. and It just felt really good from a perspective of doing justice, but also giving them the satisfaction, because those guys earned it. The judge eventually sentenced all three defendants to life in prison. Artie Nigro died in federal prison in 2019. Freddie Gius and Ty Gius are still serving their sentences. And as for Emilio Fusco, the Springfield mobster who fled to Italy after we dug up Gary Westerman's body, we ended up extraditing him and putting him on trial one year later. That didn't go quite as well. Even though Arellata took the stand again and told the same story, those jurors didn't fully believe him. Juries can be tricky like that. They convicted Fusco of racketeering and extortion, but acquitted him of the murder charges. Fusco was sentenced to 25 years, and he's still behind bars. When the dust settled, the Springfield crew and the Genovese crime family were never the same again. That leaves our star cooperator, Anthony Arellata. His time on the witness stand was over. But in many ways, the reality of cooperating, the aftermath, was just beginning. 
From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is the final episode of Up Against the Mob, The Springfield Crew. Episode 7, The Last One Standing. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. How did you learn about the verdict in the Artie trial? You know, I got moved out of uh, New York. I had just gotten to the unit. After Anthony Arellata testified, he was transferred to Fairton, a federal prison in South Jersey. And I was getting updates from my girl on the street. So when I called her up and she said, yeah, the jury came back with all guilty on everything. What was your reaction to hearing guilty on everything? Uh... You know, I didn't want, I didn't want to see him, you know, get guilty. I didn't care. I, you know, I, I, whatever happened with them was, I was done with, you know, it didn't matter to me after I did my part, I was out of it. Arolada did do his part. He kept his end of the cooperation deal. And so it was time for the prosecutors to keep ours. Before sentencing day, we wrote a letter to the judge called a 5K letter. A 5K letter lays out all the cooperators' crimes on the one hand, and then what we call the substantial assistance that they provided to law enforcement on the other hand. In my experience, judges often give cooperating witnesses major sentencing breaks based on those 5K letters. Do you remember any reaction you had to that letter? I remember showing it to a few people and they thought it was great. Everybody that I showed said it was a great letter. But regardless of what we write in the 5K letter, the judge has the final say. What were you told about the judge, Judge Castell, when you went in for sentencing? Well, I knew the judge liked me. The way he talked to me when I was on the stand and everything, I knew he believed me and all that stuff. So I figured I had a chance with him. I thought I was going to get time served when I went and got sentenced, to be honest. Time served, meaning the time Aralata had already been locked up. So essentially, he would be set free. That was Aralata's hope. In March of 2014, nearly three years after the Artie Nigro trial, Aralata's sentencing hearing was held in the same federal courthouse in Manhattan. As is typical, the judge gave the defendant a chance to speak. Recently, we asked Aralata to read back some of what he said that day. I would like to apologize to the Bruno family, to the Westerman family, and to Frank Dadabo and his family for the pain and suffering I caused them. I regret my actions and my decisions that caused so much pain. I am truly and deeply sorry to them. But not everyone in the courtroom was buying Aralata's apology. Al Bruno's son, Victor Bruno, was there that day. After Aralata spoke, the judge invited Victor to make a victim impact statement. We had a voice actor read back some of what Bruno said that day. That night, when I arrived at the scene, 
I saw my father bleeding and the paramedics trying to bring him back. That night would change my life forever. Feels like I'm the one serving a life sentence for my father's murder. So please, Your Honor, sentence this man, Anthony Arellata, to life in prison for the murder of my father. Let him join me for what he's done. Victor Bruno's statement hits on one of the most controversial aspects of using cooperating witnesses, the sentence reduction, awarding a criminal a lighter prison term in exchange for helping the government catch other criminals. I get it. Cooperating with the government does not absolve someone of their sins. But the truth is, without Aralata's help, there's a good chance we wouldn't have gotten the convictions we did. And the primary factor that motivated Aralata to cooperate was the prospect of a shorter prison sentence. Ordinarily, if he got convicted of that, would be doing life. He got a major sentencing break. Was it worth it to give him a deal to get these other guys? In a perfect world, I might struggle with that, but reality, absolutely. That's Tom Murphy. From his vantage point as a Massachusetts state police officer, he saw firsthand the fruits of Aralata's cooperation. There's no case if he doesn't cooperate. That's a no-brainer. I, I wouldn't even hesitate on that one. On a national scale, cooperation agreements have been an extremely effective tool in fighting organized crime. Since 1980, at least 40 mob bosses or acting bosses have been convicted thanks to a combination of surveillance techniques, undercover agents, and cooperating witnesses. And if you want more evidence, look no further than Springfield. Going back decades, you had this established, organized Genovese presence and operation up here, and it went right down the tubes after this. This effort created a vacuum up here that they haven't recovered from. In its heyday, the Springfield mob had at least six made guys, and each made guy managed dozens of associates. But by the time we got done with them... To the best of my knowledge, there's not a made guy up here as we speak. What's up here now are a bunch of pretenders and posers and nitwits. As far as we know, the Genovese crime family never regained its foothold in Springfield. I think New York is so humiliated. I mean, you got mob guys rolling over, cooperating, ratting everybody out. I mean, you know, New York probably wants no part of this area. They, they must look at this as like a, the worst black eye that they've had. At the sentencing hearing, the judge took all of this into account. After the lawyers, Victor Bruno, and Aralata made their statements, the judge had his turn. Here's a reenactment of part of what the judge said. Mr. Aralata did something that was smart, and that was his decision to cooperate. A decision to cooperate is a way to pay back for the serious crimes that a person has committed by fully accepting responsibility for those crimes and also in assisting and bringing others to justice. Now, a consequence of his being truthful was that he admitted to horrific acts. The fact of the matter is that Mr. Arolada spent his entire adult life, up till his arrest in this case, engaged in criminal activity. For all of his crimes, he is in criminal history category six. And the criminal history chart doesn't go any higher than category six. Arolada's long list of past legal entanglements broke the scale. So the judge ordered Aralata to forfeit $2 million and sentenced him to 99 months, slightly more than eight years. That's not the time served that Aralata hoped for. 
Arulada had already spent about four years in prison. So, with good behavior, he'd remain incarcerated for at least another three. Up until that moment, everything bad I've done, everything I've been through in my life, I never really had a sleepless night. I never stressed about nothing in my life, ever. That night when I got that, I didn't sleep all night that night. Because I knew now my life was going to definitely change. I just knew that the eight and a half years was going to fuck up my life, you know, as far as relationships with woman, with my kids, with business. It was going to fuck up everything. But not quite everything. Because at least Arulada was protected while he was locked up. He was living in Fairton Penitentiary's Witness Security Unit, known by some as, quote, rat camp. All of Arulada's prison mates were fellow cooperators, so they wouldn't target him for working with the government. There was about a hundred of us there. Everybody there was a notorious criminal. Like you had um, mafia bosses. You had like these cartel guys, you know, El Chapo's guys. You had, you know, notorious Aryan Brotherhood prison gangs that killed like 30, 40 people in prison. Everybody there had at least a couple bodies. One perk of cooperating, the witness security accommodations are a bit better than in normal prisons. It was great. I look back there, I mean, it was great doing time. How? Okay, so for one thing, you work your way up, you get a single cell. That's huge. Anybody knows prison life. That's the number one thing. You know, you could just disappear in your cell, close the door, and you could just be, you know, in solitude. And in that solitude, Aralata began to explore his inner self. You know, I read the Koran, I read the Bible, you know, know, self-help philosophy. I read the yoga philosophy. I believe in all that, you know, with planes and different, you come back to life in different lives and in different dimensions. And it's really interesting. Aralata says he even put those lessons into practice. I was doing yoga in there. I did a lot of uh, meditation and found a lot of knowledge about life, about everything. So I kind of like self-analyze, self-fix myself. By 2017, when Aralata was released, he says he felt like a different person. Even getting his freedom back felt different. I've been in prison so many times and getting released so many different times, and it's the best feeling. But this time coming out was totally different. There was no feeling like that. It was just... It was just another another day, and it was no big deal. No good feeling. And then Aralata had to figure out where he was going to live. I always had plans of coming back to my area when I made this deal. I never was, you know, going into no protection program or any of that. This was extremely unusual. Most cooperators I've worked with spend at least some time in the witness security program, assuming a new identity in some faraway place. Not Aralata. He moved back to Springfield. You know, I had family that I wanted to stay in touch with my kids. So that's number one. And, you know, part of me was like, I'm coming back to my area. That's it. If I die in the streets here, I'm, I don't care. I'm not dying in prison, in a prison cell. So how are you not nervous? You're walking around day to day, the same area where you committed these crimes and where you cooperated against some dangerous people. Because there is no people around here, number one. 
for the Italian mafia, there ain't nothing around here. Even if there was no serious mob presence anymore in Springfield, were you worried that somebody would come after you just to send a message, maybe one of Artie's guys in New York, like we can't let somebody, a made guy who flipped, just live on the streets. We have to send a message. Does that worry you? No, because they'd have to send a message to like thousands of other guys prior to me. He means other cooperators. If they were going to kill anybody, there's a thousand guys that the Genovese family in New York had to kill before they come this way. There's no fear at all, nothing like that. Has anyone come up to you and said anything, you know, called you a rat or taken a swing at you or anything? I haven't had one issue, not one issue since I've been home. When Arellata got back to Springfield, he no longer had a house to return to. It was sold while he was in prison. And Arellata's wife had divorced him. So he moved in with his mother in the same house he grew up in. Then Arellata started picking up the pieces. The first day I got back, I joined the YMCA right downtown. I've been working out there. Same YMCA as before. Same YMCA, yeah. I joined there. And then I went down to the Mardi Gras. The Mardi Gras Strip Club. I've been there half a dozen times. Old habits die hard, I guess. I actually wanted to, I had an investor, I wanted to buy the Mardi Gras, to be honest with you. (laughs) That would be some full circle moment. Yeah, this guy was all set. But Arellata says the deal fell through, and he had to find other legit ways to make money. I'm involved in some, uh, in a little business uh, with real estate. I do a little bit of uh, trading stock options, and I was, you know, with the crypto and things like that. So, Anthony, what is your life like now, day to day? I live the same way as far as going out to dinner, you know, smoke a cigar, dress decent. You know, I drive a new car, but nothing, you know, flashy. I mostly uh, live the same way. It's just not with the same power. From what I've seen with other mobsters who became cooperators, this might be the biggest change. They no longer feel special. Now they're just like everyone else. And they have to behave like everyone else. If I go to, say, a strip club somewhere and somebody bothers me, I can't react the way I was always used to reacting. With violence. With violence, yeah. And it's not that I don't have the same, like, I just can't act on that. I won't act on that. I've heard other cooperators say similar things. The violent mobster instincts never vanish entirely. They're still there, but the cooperator needs to learn to control them, almost like a recovering addict. I think there's part of, uh, I don't want to say insanity, but kind of like a little bit of insanity in people that get in trouble like I did. Like mentally ill type of thing, like whatever, but not like mentally ill where you're disabled and, you know, just I think there's a little chemical, something wrong with people like me in my situation that can go out and commit violence. Have you ever gone to counseling, therapy, anything like that? I did when I got home just to talk about whatever. How'd that go? I was seeing this girl at the uh, doctor, whatever you call him. And uh, she was, what are your two main thoughts? Like, you know, and I was thinking, like, what do you know, what do you think about? And the two main thoughts were killing my enemies and beautiful woman, hurting your enemies, thinking of ways to kill them or hurt them. You know, I used to go to bed at night just thinking, I'm just going to go in there and kill them all. You know what I mean? And, you know, you're just thinking that way. And then you just zone off and go to sleep. 
So I told that to the fucking uh, the shrink lady, and she <laughs> next thing you know, she canceled all my appointments and everything. <laughs> that meant Arellano wouldn't have a therapist's help in dealing with one of his biggest unresolved issues, his old friend, Freddie Gius. After Freddie Gius was sentenced to life, he was sent away to a maximum security prison in West Virginia called Hazleton Penitentiary. But he stayed in touch with some people back home, including Stephanie Barry, the Springfield crime reporter. We've exchanged a couple of letters. I think he feels sort of comfortable with me as like the home team reporter. Like he's seen me, you know, he's seen me in person before. It's a little bit less abstract. How often does he write you? Not very often. I mean, it's not like we're, you know, regular pen pals or anything. He sends me a Christmas card from prison every year. What is a Christmas card from Freddie Gius and Hazleton Federal Penitentiary? What does that look like? Oh, they're varied. They're varied. Um, sometimes it's a traditional card. Hey, Steph, just want to wish you and your family, you know, happy holidays. But my favorite one was he hand-drew an illustration of one snowman wearing, like, a bandit's mask, holding up another snowman with a hairdryer. And he sent that to me, and I still have it in my desk. It's one of my most prized professional possessions. Freddie's got a little sense of humor about himself. I mean, that's like a New Yorker-level cartoon right there. With the hairdryer? That's brilliant. And it was really well done, too. (laughs) (laughs) He's a good artist? Apparently. In 2018, the Federal Bureau of Prisons decided to move another Massachusetts mobster to Hazleton Penitentiary, the notorious Boston gangster Whitey Bulger. In 1994, Bulger was tipped off by a corrupt FBI agent that he was about to be arrested, so he went into hiding. When Osama bin Laden was number one on the FBI's most wanted list, Bulger was number two. Until 2011, when his arrest made national news. The Boston mob boss who outsmarted and embarrassed federal agents for the last 16 years is a fugitive no more. The search ended in 2011 when agents found the mobster and his girlfriend living in an apartment building in Santa Monica, California. Then, about seven years later... I remember reading Whitey Bulger's being transferred to USP Hazleton, and I thought, oh, that's where Freddie is. The next day... Bulger was all over the news again. The question this morning, who killed Whitey Bulger? Authorities now believe Bulger was beaten repeatedly with a lock and a sock. The brutal attack taking place inside the 89-year-old's cell, just hours after he arrived at this West Virginia prison. And I thought, no. Could it be? Could it be? You know, there's a lot of guys at that prison. I thought, oh, it would just be too much of a coincidence. But yet it wasn't. Freddie Gius has been named as one of four inmates who beat Bulger to death in his prison cell. Bulger's killers were seen on surveillance tape entering his cell around 6 a.m., moments after the cell was unlocked for breakfast. The killers reportedly tried to cut out his tongue and gouge out his eyes. Even Arellata was a little shocked. Yeah, I was surprised as far as... uh 
I'm not surprised that he did it. I'm not surprised, you know, that came out, he got killed and he did it. But yeah, I was surprised that of the event. Do you believe that he did it? That Freddie did kill Whitey Bulger? Yeah. Why do you think Freddie killed Whitey Bulger? You know, it's kind of like the most high profile type of uh, murder you can do. And, um, you know, I think uh, that he likes that. In 2022, Freddie Gius and two other inmates were charged with Bulger's murder. Gius is still serving his life sentence from our case and awaiting trial on the Bulger murder. Many news organizations have speculated about Freddie's motivations. But in truth, nobody knows for sure. Not even Arolada. But we do know that the news didn't make Arolada's life any easier. I just had gotten a job. I was working, and that's when it hit me. I said, oh, fuck. You know, they started putting our pictures on when we were at court. And then I didn't want my boss, you know, the owners, I didn't want them to find out about me because they didn't know, you know, at the time. But with the exception of his employers, Arolada didn't mind if people knew. I go to dinner like four nights a week and meet so many people and Whitey Bulger comes up and I'm saying, yeah, my friend killed him. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, what? And then I show him pictures. I like, look at that. I go, look who's right next. (laughs) Did you notice what happened there? Arolada referred to Freddie as his friend in the present tense even though they haven't spoken since Arolada cooperated nearly 12 years ago. Did you feel bad for Freddie and Ty that they were going to have to serve the rest of their life in prison? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to see, I don't want to see him in prison for the rest of their life. If it was up to you, would you let them out? Yeah, of course. You would let them out today? If it was up to me? Yeah. In all our conversations, Arolada made it clear he doesn't regret testifying against Freddie and Ty Gius, and I believe him. But after spending all this time with him, I started to sense there was something else there, too. Maybe something Arolada wouldn't say out loud. We were close. We did things together that no other people would have done as far as the violence goes, you know. So our friendship went a different way. We were It's like a sick and twisted way about it. Could that have meant In the future, we were going to kill each other, turn on each other, probably, you know, you know, could have happened. Have you had any kind of communication with those guys? Yep. Well, tell me what, uh, what about? Well, I had a communication with Fred. That's all I'm going to say. When? Uh, about a year ago. It wasn't bad either, so. Okay. It wasn't bad. But who initiated it? Did you or he? Uh, A mutual from. Okay. A from. And it wasn't, uh, you know, go to hell, I'm rotting in prison while you're out. Not, no, it wasn't. It, w- it wasn't bad at all. And you sent word back? Yep, sent word back, yep. I even, uh, he's got my number, put it that way. The number I got right now, he's got. So you're on okay terms with Fred? I'm not saying I'm, I'm okay, I'm not saying nothing. I'm just saying you asked me if I had communications, yes, I did. Maybe he'll call me, I don't know. If he said, come visit, I'm going to put you on my list, would you go out there? Of course. Okay. Same with Ty? Yeah. (laughs) If you could sort of do it all again, but just go the straight path, do what your father did, open a profitable fruit stand and never have had anything to do with this becoming a made guy or any of the street stuff, would you have done it that way? 
No, I would have did the same exact thing I did. I would live the same life. Although Aralata did tell me there's one thing he would have done differently. He wouldn't have committed murder. But not for the reason you might think. The murder, it just changed everything. The heat that comes from a murder, it's just insane. There's always drama. It's like, if you don't want to have drama in your life, that's the worst thing, is be a suspect in a murder. Forget about it. Your whole life is drama. Are you happy with your life as it is now? Yeah, like right now, after everything, I'm content. I'm not happy. I'm just, I'm content with, you know, the second chance I got. I was walking yesterday, you know, in a park area type thing, smoking a cigar, and it's like you appreciate everything now, and I'm grateful that I have that second chance. I think that's unfair. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. That's someone else who got a second chance. Frank Dadabo, the union official who was shot nine times by Aralata and the Gias brothers. Dadabo survived, but his life changed forever. I was in a wheelchair for a couple of months. I couldn't even walk. I was going to therapy. I still have a bullet in my lung and one in my chest. I had to retire. I lost my job. I couldn't work no more. I went through a rough, rough time. Meanwhile, the man who tried to murder Dadabo is working out at the YMCA, trading crypto, and frequenting the Mardi Gras strip club. Does it bother you that he's out of jail now? Do you think that's fair, unfair? It bothers me a lot. You try to kill me. How's he out of jail? Because mm-hmm. he became a rat? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not right. He should be mm-hmm. in jail. He tried mm-hmm. to kill me. I don't like that part at all. I don't necessarily disagree with you. The argument would be, the prosecutor response would be, yeah, but without his cooperation, none of this would have ever been, nobody ever would have been caught. Nobody ever would have served yeah, a day in jail yeah, for what they did. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Dadabo understands that we had to use the tools at our disposal to achieve justice. Aralata had his own way of understanding the life-altering choice that he made. It's like that game when you're playing, uh, you know, going around and sitting in a chair. and Musical chairs. You're the, musical chairs, and, you know, you're the last one standing. And, you know, we were the last one standing facing a life bed. You know, in musical chairs, you're out. The game is over. But our, in this, we had another card to play. You know, you could make a deal. You could uh, make a deal with the government. And that's what I chose to do. As prosecutors, sometimes our best play is to offer mobsters like Anthony Aralata a lifeline when the music stops. Whitey Bulger news clips from ABC America this morning, CBS this morning, The Today Show, and Inside Edition. Special thanks to Noam Hassenfeld and Rob Spivak for their readings of Victor Bruno and Judge Castell. And thanks to Liam Jones and Julian Barbet for talking to us about the case. Thanks to everyone at Vox Media who helped make this season possible, including Chris Shirtleff, Stephanie Beach, Lindley Seco, Ode White, Darian Muka, Marika Ball-Damberg, Namada Shah, Claudia Hernandez, and of course, Preet Bharara. For more wild stories about the Springfield Mafia, and the inside scoop on how prosecutors go up against the mob, become a member of Cafe Insider. For a limited time, you can get 40% off on your first year of annual membership. Head to cafe.com mob and get access to all exclusive cafe content. 
That's cafe.com slash mob. Up Against the Mob is a production of Cafe and the Vox Media Podcast Network. Matthew Billy is the senior producer and writer. Adam Waller and Noah Azalai are the producers. Isaac Kestenbaum is our editor. Lissa Soep is our story consultant. This episode was mixed and sound designed by David Tadashur. Original score composed by Nat Wiener. Tamara Sepper and Art Chung are the executive producers. I'm Ellie Honig. If you enjoyed this episode, hit follow in your listening app. You can also write a review and let us know what you thought of the show. Thanks for listening.